selections from the dolorous passion of our Lord Jesus Christ, from the visions of Blessed Anne Catherine Emmerich. Chapter 1 Jesus in the Garden of Olives When Jesus left the supper room with the eleven apostles, after the institution of the adorable sacrament of the altar, his soul was deeply oppressed, and his sorrow on the increase. He led the eleven by an unfrequented path to the valley of Josaphat. As they left the house, I saw the moon, which was not yet quite at the full, rising in front of the mountain. Our divine Lord, as he wandered with his apostles about the valley, told them that here he should one day return to judge the world, but not in a state of poverty and humiliation as he then was, and that men would tremble with fear and cry, Mountains, fall upon us. His disciples did not understand him, and thought that weakness and exhaustion had affected his brain. He said to them again, All you shall be scandalized in me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be dispersed. But after I shall be risen again, I will go before you into Galilee." The apostles were still in some degree animated by the spirit of enthusiasm and devotion with which their reception of the blessed sacrament and the solemn and affecting words of Jesus had inspired them. They eagerly crowded round him and expressed their love in a thousand different ways, earnestly protesting that they would never abandon him. Peter exclaimed, Although all shall be scandalized in thee, I will never be scandalized. And our Lord answered him, Amen, I say to thee, that in this night, before the cock crow, thou wilt deny me thrice. But Peter still insisted, saying, Yea, though I should die with thee, I will not deny thee. And the others all said the same. The apostles tried to comfort him by human arguments, assuring him that what he foresaw would not come to pass. They tired themselves in these vain efforts, began to doubt, and were assailed by temptation. They crossed the brook Kedron, not by the bridge where, a few hours later, Jesus was taken prisoner, but by another, for they had left the direct road. Gethsemane, whither they were going, was a large garden, surrounded by a hedge, and containing only some fruit trees and flowers, while outside there stood a few deserted, unclosed buildings. The apostles and several other persons had keys of this garden, which was used sometimes as a pleasure ground and sometimes as a place of retirement for prayer. Some arbors made of leaves and branches had been raised there, and eight of the apostles remained in them and were later joined by others of the disciples. The Garden of Olives was separated by a road from that of Gethsemane and was open, surrounded only by an earthen wall and smaller than the Garden of Gethsemane. There were caverns, terraces, and many olive trees to be seen in this garden, and it was easy to find there a suitable spot for prayer and meditation. It was to the wildest part that Jesus went to pray. It was about nine o'clock when Jesus reached Gethsemane with his disciples. The moon had risen, and already gave light in the sky, although the earth was still dark. 
Jesus was most sorrowful and told his apostles that danger was at hand. The disciples felt uneasy, and he told eight of those who were following him to remain in the Garden of Gethsemane whilst he went on to pray. He took with him Peter, James, and John, and going on a little further, entered into the Garden of Olives. No words can describe the sorrow which then oppressed his soul, for the time of trial was near. John asked him how it was that he, who had hitherto always consoled them, could now be so dejected. My soul is sorrowful even unto death, was his reply. And he beheld sufferings and temptations surrounding him on all sides, and drawing nearer and nearer under the forms of frightful figures borne on clouds. Then it was that he said to the three apostles, Stay you here and watch with me. Pray, lest ye enter into temptation. Jesus went a few steps to the left, down a hill, and concealed himself beneath a rock in a grotto about six feet deep, while the apostles remained in a hollow above. When Jesus left his disciples, I saw a number of frightful figures surrounding him in an ever-narrowing circle. His sorrow and anguish of soul continued to increase, and he was trembling all over when he entered the grotto to pray, like a wayworn traveler hurriedly seeking shelter from a sudden storm. But the awful visions pursued him even there, and became more and more clear and distinct. Alas, this small cavern appeared to contain the awful picture of all the sins which had been or were to be committed from the fall of Adam to the end of the world and of the punishment which they deserved. It was here on Mount Olivet that Adam and Eve took refuge when driven out of paradise to wander homeless on earth and they had wept and bewailed themselves in this very grotto. I felt that Jesus in delivering himself up to divine justice in satisfaction for the sins of the world caused his divinity to return in some sort into the bosom of the Holy Trinity concentrated himself, so to speak in his pure, loving and innocent humanity and strong only in his ineffable love gave it up to anguish and suffering he fell on his face overwhelmed with unspeakable sorrow, and all the sins of the world displayed themselves before him under countless forms and in all their real deformity. He took them all upon himself, and in his prayer offered his own adorable person to the justice of his heavenly Father in payment for so awful a debt. But Satan who was enthroned amid all these horrors, and even filled with diabolical joy at the sight of them, let loose his fury against Jesus, and displayed before the eyes of his soul increasingly awful visions, at the same time addressing his adorable humanity in words such as these, Takest thou even this sin upon thyself? Art thou willing to bear its penalty? 
Art thou prepared to satisfy for all these sins? And now, a long ray of light, like a luminous path in the air, descended from heaven. It was a procession of angels who came up to Jesus and strengthened and reinvigorated him. The remainder of the grotto was filled with frightful visions of our crimes. Jesus took them all upon himself, but that adorable heart, which was so filled with the most perfect love for God and man, was flooded with anguish and overwhelmed beneath the weight of so many abominable crimes. When this huge mass of iniquities, like the waves of a fathomless ocean, had passed over his soul, Satan brought forward innumerable temptations, as he had formerly done in the desert, even daring to adduce various accusations against him. And takest thou all these things upon thyself, he exclaimed, thou who art not unspotted thyself. And then he laid to the charge of our Lord, with infernal impudence, a host of imaginary crimes. He reproached him with the faults of his disciples, the scandals which they had caused, and the disturbances which he had occasioned in the world by giving up ancient customs. He reproached Jesus with having been the cause of the massacre of the innocents, as well as of the sufferings of his parents in Egypt, with not having saved John the Baptist from death, with having brought disunion into families, protected men of despicable character, refused to cure various sick persons, injured the inhabitants of Gerasene by permitting demons to make swine cast themselves into the sea, with having deserted his family and squandered the property of others. In one word, Satan, in the hopes of causing Jesus to waver, suggested to him every thought by which he would have tempted at the hour of death an ordinary mortal who might have performed all these actions without a superhuman intention. For it was hidden from him that Jesus was the Son of God, and he tempted him only as the most just of men. Our divine Savior permitted his humanity thus to preponderate over his divinity, for he was pleased to endure even those temptations with which holy souls are assailed at the hour of death concerning the merit of their good works. That he might drink the chalice of suffering even to the dregs, he permitted the evil spirit to tempt his sacred humanity as he would have tempted a man who should wish to attribute to his good works some special value in themselves over and above what they might have by their union with the merits of our Savior. There was not an action out of which he did not contrive to frame some accusation. Among the sins of the world which Jesus took upon himself, I saw also my own, and a stream in which I distinctly beheld each of my faults, appeared to flow towards me from out of the temptations with which he was encircled. During this time, my eyes were fixed upon my heavenly spouse. With him I wept and prayed, and with him I turned towards the consoling angels. 
truly did our dear Lord writhe like a worm beneath the weight of his anguish and sufferings. This has been taken from The Dolorous Passion of Our Lord Jesus Christ from the Visions of Blessed Anne Catherine Emmerich published by Ten Books. For more information, call 1-800-437-5876 or find them on the web at www.tanbooks.com. This work is in the public domain. This has been Christian Classics with Teresa Hofer. Listen every Monday through Friday at this time as Teresa continues her great readings and selections from classic Christian literature. Right here on the Ave Maria Radio Network, news and talk for Catholic and other Christians. <laughs>